consumption. My name is Kelly. And I am still Michelle. And today we're going to be talking about romanticizing scumbags. Specifically, fictional scumbags. We're not going to go into the details of real life people today. So we're going to be covering the versions of guys like why do we like the bad boy and why does Hollywood have an obsession with redeeming them? Yeah, we're not sure why why that is a, a big deal. It's like, oh, every girl loves a bad boy. No, man, give me a stable good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want somebody who can cuddle and bring me tacos in bed. Yep, that's the dream. That is the dream. But there is going to be a bit of a content warning for this one because, as we know, talking about scumbags sometimes talks about sensitive topics and subjects. So uh, it's going to be going into some sexy times, consent issues. So if any of those things are going to squick you out, make you sensitive, feel free to give this particular session a pass. We'll see you next time. It shouldn't be too explicit, but I know everyone has kind of different levels of what can affect them. Yeah, we just want to make sure that this is a safe and welcoming environment for everybody because everybody knows that there's going to be that one thing that makes them go, mm, nope, not for me. And since this is an early episode for us, we don't want this to, to turn you away from us altogether. So be warned, we're going to get into some rough stuff, but we will try to handle it appropriately. All right, so I guess we should first start with what makes a a character male or female a scumbag that's such a good question (laughs) right is it is it just the fact that they wear leather jackets and smoke cigarettes like or is it is it something is it deeper is it on a deeper level are they they guys that kick puppies like what's going on what makes them a scumbag Typically, in my opinion, it's going to be someone that is manipulative, selfish, doesn't take into account others' feelings, and often will be using them for gratification or money or any sort of thing that they they want. They're not a genuine good person. I agree. Yeah. Somebody who is definitely out there for selfish reasons. All of his motivations are somehow self-influenced. Like it, it could be money. It could be notoriety and fame. It could be just the pleasure of causing displeasure, whatever works for them, or just a complete ignorance of anything outside of themselves. So With that, we've got a huge list of (laughs) movies that we want to go through, because once we started talking about this, we're like, oh my god, this movie, oh my god, that movie, oh my god, this movie over here, basically any rom-com of the 90s, yeah, so I guess I'm going to start with an oldie, but a classic, The Graduate from 1967. That, oh, I mean, let's, let's take into account yes this was a different time but but still not cool the behaviors exhibited in this film are extreme and let's start from the very beginning here we've got dustin hoffman playing a new college graduate he's come home people are talking to him about all of these different potentials in his life and at this moment is when friends of his parents start talking with him a lot including one Mrs. Robinson. Mm -hmm. She's much older. She's still very sexy in her own right. And she sees Dustin Hoffman as exactly what he is in that moment. Young, naive, virile, (laughs) let's be fair. He's a sexy, sexy boy at this point. And so she entices him and seduces him into a very, very not cool sexual affair she's still married and she has a child his age and so their relationship is already a little icky to begin with and that brings up the one layer of scumbag in that she is clearly using him for uh, making her feel young attractive giving her something outside of her marriage that may be a little stale Yeah, maybe she feels neglected by her husband, but her motivations still don't excuse the fact that she is preying on somebody who is clearly inexperienced, naive, and does not know any better than to just go along with it because it feels good. Mm -hmm. 
So that's level one, and we're going to get deeper. <laughs> level one starts with that. Her daughter, Elaine, comes home for like the summer or whatever. I believe Ben, Dustin Hoffman's character, gets set up on a, a blind date or something with Elaine, something like that. And when he tells Mrs. Robinson, she strictly forbids him from going out on a date. And if they have to go on a date, she basically says, you have to destroy her. I don't want her interested in you at all. You cannot be with this woman romantically. Ugh. So he literally, in order, in order to save his sexy times with this one, older woman, he goes on this date and treats Elaine like absolute shit. They end up at a strip club, like this cabaret strip theater. And this woman is gyrating with tassels and everything above poor Elaine's head. And there's this scene where you just see the two of them looking at each other. They're not looking at the woman dancing, but they're just looking at each other. And Elaine is crying. This is the worst date of all time, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is what I have to do so that I can have sex. And so when it's only when she runs away crying that he chases after her and says, I'm sorry, I'm a horrible person. Let's start over and decides that he's going to actually be attracted to Elaine, that he's going to start a relationship with her. Of course, everything comes to a head where Mrs. Robinson's relationship with Ben comes out. Uh, Elaine finds out and Elaine is, of course, distraught to find out that the dude that you're kind of into is stripping your mom. So she flees, goes across the country back to her college. And Dustin Hoffman has a little bit of a, a come to Jesus moment where he's like, you know what? Mrs. Robinson was wrong. I shouldn't have, have been involved with her. I shouldn't have treated Elaine so badly. How am I going to make this up to Elaine? Here's an idea. I'm going to stalk her. Super healthy, super healthy. Mm. We we definitely um, advise that. Mm. Yeah. Heavy he sarcasm, really, of course. Oh, God. He, he goes to the East Coast, finds her, and there's a montage of him following her across town, right? And then the, the pretty famous scene is him chasing the bus that she's on from stop to stop so that he can just sit next to her. And him getting on the bus, her seeing him step up onto the bus you can see in her face she is uncomfortable she is startled she's a little frightened what is happening this dude who i came here specifically to run away from is suddenly here ah uh, do i need to call the police mm -hmm. and that's that's the layer of of scumbag because mrs robinson not good person and basically molded him to be a not good person to continue this to be her her toy her distraction mm -hmm. and he perpetuated that bad behavior yes he realized what he did was wrong but the way he went about trying to fix it was worse <laughs> it's not even, it's not even like an overcorrection at this point it's it's just completely the wrong direction mm-hmm the, the correct response in this case would have been something to just pull back and say, hey, I did something wrong. I chased you away. I will back off, let you heal. And I'm just going to let you know that I'm here for you if you ever want to come back. But I will not chase you. See, that's, that's all he could have done. That's the consent. That's the consent thing right there. And I think it's so weird that we have an entire culture that came after the graduate that thinks that that's romantic or like high fives a, a, a teenage boy for having a relationship with an older woman. That, <laughs> honey, that is statutory rape. That is not okay. Why is that romanticized? We've got a huge generation of people that are idolizing the grand gesture romantic moments. Mm -hmm. Your Ben Braddock, Dustin Hoffman from The Graduate, in the church, banging his fists on the glass as he's trying to stop the wedding of Elaine and this rando, who knows how long this relationship was in the making, and they're at the altar getting married, and he's, Elaine, Elaine, bang, 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 bang. Like, that's a huge grand gesture. And you have Lloyd Dobler in Say Anything, played by John Cusack, holding the boombox up outside Diane mm -hmm. Quartz's house. And, I mean, iconic, iconic moments. But it's like, 
at what point do you say, no, this is not cool? And I, I think that really bleeds into the whole idea of separating the fantasy and fiction from reality and how a lot of people don't have the ability. They they are watching this as kids, teenagers, young adults who don't have a ton of life experience. They haven't been out in the world. They haven't had a bunch of relationships. So they form their expectations of a relationship from media. And I think it's the responsibility of those who are creating this content to actually acknowledge that fact because life imitates art, art imitates life. And we start seeing these negative behaviors, unhealthy relationships be treated with a form of of reverence and romanticization on their own. Somebody staying in an unhealthy relationship because, oh, I could fix him. Oh, I could heal him. Oh, she's not that bad. Oh, it's better that we're together. Our love is deep and pure and maybe it will heal them. No. Get yeah, get, it, get up his ass. And <laughs> on top of that, it also villainizes being alone. It does. That is so true. The single person is is a punchline. Yeah. And they're sad and droopy and like always, always moping on their own on the couch, eating from the carton of ice cream with a bottle of wine, you know, and it's it's literally like if you're alone, you get to make your own choices. You don't have to to sit there with somebody else and negotiate on what you want to do. It's it's you. You just get yeah. to do what you want to do. And there's a freedom in that. And a lot of a lot of of pop culture, a lot of media just totally destroys that. We're starting to come back from that, I I hope. It just well, feels like we're starting to come back from that. And beyond that, it also devalues and fully just ignores the alternatives of having a asexual life or demisexual, mm -hmm. having a platonic partnership and the love of friends and family, which can be just as deep and powerful as romantic love and sets this expectation that you are going to be unfulfilled until you have a life partner. I will 100% admit that I've been guilty of that. My parents have been happily together since high school, high school sweethearts, adorable, love each other, never raise their voices, always talk, still give each other butterflies. I see that and go, ooh, I want that in my life. But I am in my 30s and just now having a relationship that's lasted more than a couple months. And I'm enjoying myself because I've stopped putting that expectation that I'm going to have this fireworks moment. I'm actually just enjoying who I'm with, but that's in contrast to what media would tell you you need to do. Yeah. It's not literally an end goal of your end goal being marriage and then the next end goal being kids. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not, that's not the meter to measure your entire life. Everyone is different. And asexual people and aromantic people and demisexual and pansexual people, they all have different requirements for what they need in order to be happy in life. And a lot of this is specifically geared towards straight, um, very heterosexual, heteromantic heteronormative and Heteronorm usually not yeah. healthy i i, I know oh, no. when, when we're on tiktok or so, we, I, I i don't know what side of tiktok you spend most of your time on it seems like we're on the same side but i end up being a lot of queer spaces and it is mm -hmm. so funny to me because i look at those queer spaces and they're so open and accepting and yeah there's absolutely controversy in areas that um they have issues and dramas but they look at the straight side of tiktok and they're like are you guys okay and the answer is usually no, because the things that are trends there, I look at and I'm like, that's not a healthy relationship. Like, why has it been a popular trope for comedians to go up and diss their wives or husbands? Why is that something that gets so many laughs? Why are you with somebody if you hate them? And why is it a common pickup technique to neg a woman? Oh, God. Literally go up to a woman and say... Oh, you're cute for somebody who's discriminatory, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's that's horrible. That's like you're destroying somebody's self-esteem so that you can get in their pants. 
And no. they think that that's going to build a lifelong happy relationship. It's just no. That's that's ooh. setting you up for a lifelong manipulation, abusive relationship, and that's mm-hmm. not what we want to do. This foster positivity, people. Absolutely. Positivity. Yeah, I mean, I know we weren't really going to talk about the scumbags in real life, but it's it's so true, and a lot of these I think are built on these misunderstandings or or misrepresentations of what people's motivations for relationships are. Like there's this whole belief that like, oh, a woman is like a gold digger or she just wants to lock a guy down. Mm-hmm. Well, statistically, if you look at the the numbers, women live longer and are happier single. Men live way less time when they're single, but when they are married and in a relationship, they live longer. And it's the in unequal division of labor. It's that you know, the woman's there to keep you alive and you know make you wash your ass. So like they're they're living these these lives with this expectation, but really like it's for the benefit of the men in many of these heterosexual relationships that they would even get to that point. So the media doesn't reflect that. It has this strange view like the whole rom-com genre as a whole has this weird view of relationships and women and the the things that they care about you know a woman who talks about babies talks about weddings talks about um her sorority sisters and um this you know one chance meeting she had with a guy that has apparently stayed with her for 10 years when that's probably not the case you know it's it's the things that they depict as being important which aren't and oh oh god i know there's going to be an episode where we talk about the movie what's your number oh god we are not going to get into that one today that is a lot to unpack but oh my god it is yeah well, I mean, kind of in that vein, like Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, that was an interesting movie. Uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, going through his whole thing of realizing that the way he was treating women was not healthy because he wasn't seeing them as people. Yes, he admired them, but he admired them in the same way that somebody who collects pretty rocks admires rocks. He he was adding them to his list. He wasn't having a connection because he had unhealthy relationships modeled for him as a kid and he internalized that which really brings us back to the point of it's the media where if they can help internalize these especially for children that don't necessarily have healthy relationships modeled for them in real life they turn to what is society's lens what is being projected as hey you should emulate this even if it's played for a a laugh They don't know that. They don't have the context. And so he doesn't really know that. He, as an adult, had every opportunity to learn, and he should have seen that what he was doing was harmful and mistreatment and entitlement, but he didn't. And he only had one woman in his life that he really saw as a person for a long time, which was his childhood best friend. And I think it's so interesting when you notice that the way he projected on these people is, oh, they're beautiful. You're, you're all these wonderful things, but he couldn't remember anything significant about them. Yeah. And the only one he, he fell in love with felt more for was the one exclusive one that he viewed as a person. And I find that just as messed up. I'm like, no, but that that brings up a really good point that there are films like this films that are all all built they're kind of very formulaic in the sense that this is kind of the growth that they go through but the these male characters when they realize who they're in love with because they see them as people is that actually a portrayal of love or are they misconstruing real friendship with what they think romantic love is supposed to be Absolutely. You know, honestly, and that brings us back to a totally different point, but it's related. The friend zone. The friend zone doesn't no. exist. I no. am so angry when any anytime someone brings that up because you are a friend. You aren't being put in the sidelines. You you aren't earning with your friend points the right to get into a girl's pants. 
And I will say there are women who keep men on the back burner to make themselves feel better if there is an issue or uh, if they're insecure and they, they keep somebody on the line, basically leading them on. That does happen. I will not doubt that. But that is not the same thing as the friend zone. And right. they're, they're not the rule. Exactly. They are not the rule. And <laughs> this big point we wanted to talk about today, all of this comes down to communication. Don't yes. make assumptions. Do not do these silly, I can't talk about this because it would ruin things. If talking about it would ruin it, it's already ruined. Move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Move on. 100%. So communication, actually, I got a perfect one. And we're going way, way back here. The Twelfth Night, William Shakespeare's play of disguising oneself, unrequited love, and some potential byplay. Um, You've got Olivia and her twin Sebastian are in a, a boat crash. And Olivia believes that her her twin brother, Sebastian, has died. She finds herself stranded in this country that she knows nothing about and decides that in order for herself not to just either be killed or potentially worse as a woman alone in a strange land, she disguises herself as a young boy or a young, a young man named Cesario and gets taken under the wing of Duke Orsino. Duke Orsino is a man who is pining and whining over this woman named Olivia, saying like, oh, I love her. I must marry her. Why must she spurn me so? Like, she doesn't want you, bro. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She's, she's Take a hint. Stated, yeah, like, I said no. No means no. So, but he's sitting there going like, no, I must, I must woo her. I must send her gifts. I must send her Cesario to go and woo her for me, Right. And he's constantly whining about how she won't marry him. Not to mention the fact that Olivia is mourning the death of her brother. She is literally grieving for a family member, a close family member's death. And he's all sitting there going like, oh, but baby, I'm going to love you so good. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) So he goes and sends Cesario, a.k.a. um, Viola. Excuse me. Viola is the, the... the woman disguised as Cesario, to go and basically send poetry and whatnot and say like, oh, my lady, you are so gorgeous. Why don't you marry my master, Duke Orsino? He is great. All the while, Viola is totally into Orsino herself. She's like, he's so pretty. I want him. And at that moment, Olivia is all like, you know, this young boy, he's kind of cute. I think I'm into that. So interesting. You've already got a weird love triangle going on right then and there. It gets better. Um, There are points later in the play where Duke Orsino and Cesario, a.k.a. Viola, are having these these confidant back and forth, these these great heart-to-heart conversations. And in some film interpretations... They're kind of kind of getting very like a hot sexual tension between the two of them. So the question is, is Orsino really gay and he's just desperate for a beard? Or is he bisexual and has no problem with either, but again, still needs a wife because at that point, marrying a man is not okay. Or is he falling for somebody he views as a person while the others are just set dressing? Right, falling in love with the person rather than the genitals in depends. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different things could be played here. But going back to our whole romanticizing scumbags thing, Orsino is 100%. Olivia is the one for me. I'm up for Olivia, 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 Olivia. And then Olivia is like, oh, Cesario is super cute. I love him, I love him, I love him. But Sebastian, when you find out that Sebastian is alive, the twin brother of Viola, comes in and he sees Olivia. And he's like, oh, damn, she cute. Mm-hmm. And Olivia looks at Sebastian thinking, oh, Cesario, I love you so much. Won't you marry me? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so the two of them get married when Olivia has no idea who this man is. Because she just thinks it's this dude that's been coming by to see her all the time. And then 
Orsino's like, what do you mean you're married to Cesario? What are you talking about? And Cesario's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I, it, no, no, that's not happening. It's, I didn't do anything of that. When Cesario reveals that she is, in fact, Viola, Orsino's like, well, Olivia's married. And I was already into you, so you wanna? And she's like, yeah, sure. What? <laughs> it's it's the, the comedy of errors, but that well is... actually that's another play but yes <laughs> i mean yes haha ha. <laughs> well but it's it's the communication piece but you know, that one is in advance like to an extreme a- another one that's a little more recent to our times would be like mr and mrs smith that was showing a relationship that was falling apart because of lies and deceits and them not keep not telling their whole truth and they didn't see a way out of it. But when they find out that they actually are even more perfectly aligned to each other than they ever thought, all of a sudden everything's great. I mean, that final scene with the therapist. (laughs) (laughs) 10, 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can see like that. They did a very good job, in my opinion, of showing that it's better to be honest. Like if your relationship is falling apart because you can't be who you truly are, then then don't and yeah. don't be with them but like he was acting like a scumbag she was also acting like a scumbag in that they they both were um but they ended up being mutually like they they fit together in in scumbag harmony they were perfectly matched exactly like they start, <laughs> you start off and they're both lying to each other they're both interested in each other because let's face it they're both super sexy Yes, um, yes. And in that moment, it's just like, oh, you're down. I'm down. Let's do this. And they have chemistry. And that chemistry carries them up through the wedding and past their honeymoon. But then years down the line, they realize that the chemistry is starting to fizzle because, I mean, anybody who's gone into a long-term relationship knows that the chemicals in your brain from a new relationship start to die out after so many months, so many years. And then you have to, to stay with that person, you have, you, you keep wanting to get that buzz, that serotonin, those, that's those endorphins, but they're just not there backing them up. So the fact that these two people were lying to each other the entire time. And I, one of my favorite things is like, he's like, yeah, she's a horrible cook. And she's like, I never cooked. That was the team, mm-hmm. the team, they would all just bring in the food and they would cook and the, I never cook. And he's like, oh, so I'm not so I'm not so ashamed for hating your cooking now. <laughs> By the way, I'm Jewish. What? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Just all the miscommunications that go into those. And the the thing that gets me with some of the romanticization of this is they want to make them redeemable. And it's it's different when you're talking about like a TV show to a movie because there's not as much content and background that you can provide for like motivations and why they're the way they are in a movie tv shows you can you can have a pretty messed up character come out and be sympathetic I, it comes to mind hannibal when you're thinking hannibal Lecter, it's like well how is a cannibal redeemable you know they, they somehow manage to make it so that it's his background and motivations that that makes sense his justifications versus what you saw in like red dragon or silence of the lambs but you see characters like catcher block from down with love love. yes like that's one he's he's irredeemable he's also unapologetic he knows what he is and he has a pattern he isn't necessarily fully fulfilled in the way his life is. He's following a script from what I can tell of like, this is what he's supposed to do. This is a man's man, ladies, man, man about town. He, oh. Oh, he right from the script. I love it. <laughs> he's, he's the type. So when he encounters a, opponent who doesn't follow the script, who challenges him, who, gives him opportunities to improve himself. That is so interesting that you see basically they're, they're making space for him to treat them like an equal and to see them outside of this routine that he's been following for so long. And I don't think it's 
healthy or repeatable because that was an elaborate, crazy scheme. But, so elaborate. but it is so interesting that it took all those steps for them to make the decision to to stop what they had been doing before and not change them. Like they weren't going in and changing them. They were literally giving them opportunities to step up themselves and they could make those adjustments if they chose to. But again, this goes back to seeing the partner as more than just an obstacle, an object, something they can collect or, or yeah, a trophy that they can have and hold. They saw them as a person and a, and a bright, intelligent person who made them rethink everything they thought they knew. That is like the whole trick of this. And it's like, why do a lot of these scumbags see them as tools, people they can manipulate, things that they can control for their own ego, for whatever? It's it's not a equal scenario. And it's something that I keep seeing in real life where people start treating others in that way. And I'm like, just please treat everybody as humans. Even if you disagree with them, they're still also a human. Come on. They have individual thoughts and needs and feelings. And like, sure, everybody has the ability to influence each other. Mm -hmm. For example, in that film, like there's Barbara Novak, aka Nancy Brown, who has spent her 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 fuel, her fire on writing this book to influence other women to stop giving men what they need and start concentrating on themselves. Yeah. And like, yes, it's a revolutionary concept for all of these women, but all of these men are like, wait, you're supposed to be doing what I want you to do. No, no. Thanks, man. We're gonna do this our way. And that actually ties in perfectly with my thoughts on Scott Pilgrim. Oof. Because let's be fair, Scott Pilgrim versus the world was a fantastic movie. And the comic book series is also amazing. Highly recommend. But Scott Pilgrim at the beginning of the film is with Knives Chow, a girl who's still in high school a, I believe it's a private school, nonetheless, because she does wear a uniform, and she's Asian. That's another issue: the uniform and fetishization. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like she's she's too young for him, and he specifically says, "Oh, and she's Asian," and that's super fetishization of just who she is as a person. Like let's let's not do that. Many many things wrong with Scott Pilgrim from point one, from moment one, and so he's with this girl. They're pretty evenly matched because he's also kind of got a high schooler's mentality. And so they like video games. They like music. Knives is obsessed with Scott. Older dude who's in a band. Oh, my God. That's the dream, right? <laughs> that's an amazing moment for this poor girl. But as soon as Ramona Flowers comes skating through his mind, he literally forgets that Knives exists. He forgets that he has a girlfriend, that he's in a relationship that's supposed to be committed. But Ramona enters his life. She doesn't really pay attention to Scott. In fact, she's very dismissive of him. And suddenly, Scott is obsessed. Absolutely 100% obsessed with this girl. And she is 100% the manic pixie dream girl. Personified. Mm Mm-hmm. She's got like a little hipster thing. She's got the goggles, the funky hair. She rollerblades everywhere. You know, it, it's definitely something that's not the typical, not the norm, but is a very heavy trope in films and, and all kinds of romantic media types. She shows up to a date and he notices that her hair color has changed. So what does he say? He says she's fickle, impulsive, spontaneous, Oh God, what am I gonna do? Seeing <laughs> that it, 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 he says he says she she changed her hair without making a big deal about it. And the point from that right there is that she is doing things for herself without any consideration of how I feel about it. The moment he realizes that she is a human being, he panics. And that's horrible. Yeah. And we're supposed to like this guy. <laughs> and those are 
those romanticized tropes where they they get the girl at the end, even though they're a scumbag. They somehow are redeemed for the duration of the film. We don't see what they do after the film, but you know, for that happily ever after end credit scene, they're supposedly all good now. Oh yeah, they've been a scumbag for years and hurt literally dozens of people. But yeah, they they've done enough reflecting yeah. to be uh, considered the good guy. Here's here's your trophy. And what is portrayed in the the graphic novel series that wasn't able to be fit into a 2-hour movie was the fact that you've got Ramona Flowers, everybody knows about her seven evil exes. Mm-hmm. Her seven evil exes who all happen to be obsessed with her by the way, which is a little disconcerting. But what we don't see is Scott Pilgrim's exes. In the graphic novel series, you go a little bit more into it. The fact that all of his exes are obsessed with him in a different way. They hate him. He is not a good awful. way. <laughs> yeah, right. They they look at him and they're like, Scott, you're an asshole. You're a douche. You know, the one, the only person that we see as his ex, other than Knives Chow toward the end of the movie is Kim, the redhead that is the drummer in Scott mm-hmm. Pilgrim's band. She she literally looks at him and says, I want to punch you in the face, like, constantly. <laughs> like, she dates him. She is one of his exes, and they are constantly around each other. And it's just, it's, 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 again, he is a bad person. Everybody who he's ever dated ends up despising him because he just has no care for how anybody else feels. And he's just, he's moving on to the next obsession of the moment. And the next obsession of the moment is Ramona, who apparently everybody obsesses over, which is awesome. I mean, honestly, it's kind of fair that, I mean, Ramona Flowers was interesting. I was, I mean, the people that she ended up dating, it's fascinating. And it shows her growth as a person through it. It does. Yeah. It does. It's it's a really it's that's absolutely fascinating. And I the the difference is so stark because the way she interacted is she's like, Yep, this is just how life is. I mean, I I like them and while I'm with them, I'm with them. But she's not a scumbag she absolutely could have been she could have treated these people terribly she could act like this was all an ego stroke of yeah these are all the people that were with me ha 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 aren't i amazing but no she's not she's actually good and she ends up somehow with scott pilgrim who is clearly exhibiting nice guy scumbag vibes like come on he ends up with this girl in a serious relationship and it's clear at the end of the film that he's still not ready for a real relationship yeah he's not mature enough yet yeah oh it's frustrating it absolutely is oh the stuff i love this topic it's so interesting because it makes you really critically look at the world around you and i can appreciate a movie or a show or whatever at different levels because part of me is like this is just an entertaining show you know I'm enjoying this I'm following the plot it's great but the other portion of my brain is like railing against it and being like no this is bad imagine 13 year old you watching this thing going that's normal oh god yeah (laughs) let's let's actually talk about the nice guy trope because I have I have two movies on my list right now that are perfect examples of the nice guy trope done in a horrible horrible way. And Bring I'm going to start on. with the I'm going to start with the worst of the two. Let's go with Revenge of the Nerds. Ugh. 1984, I was a year old. You've got you've got Lewis. Lewis is the main nerd, the one that you're following throughout the entire film. He and his fellow nerds come to college all excited for the knowledge that they're going to be attaining all of the, the experiences and, of course, the booty. But on top of all of this, right at the very start, the jocks, the alpha betas, have an issue where they can no longer stay in their frat house. So they, because they are football players, they are sportsmen, they are the pride and money of this college, 
they get to go into freshman housing and kick out the new freshmen so that they have a place to stay. And who are the freshmen that get kicked out? The nerds. All of these nerds. They're super wronged at the very beginning of the film. They make them immediately sympathetic. Oh no, woe is them. That's a horrible thing to do. It truly is. I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> but then, Lewis and the nerds, they get their, their fraternity house, the, the Tri-Lambdas, and instantly, they're starting to do their hijinks. Mm -hmm. They break into the sorority house install secret cameras so they can watch the girls walking around naked which by the way people movie executives if you're listening i don't think you are but if you, any, any of you do listen to this podcast in the future sorority houses are not filled with naked girls just gonna <laughs> put that out there in college we don't all have pillow fights in our pjs that are actually made of silk we don't do that it's, it's a completely unrealistic portrayal of female existence on a college campus. Stop it. It is so heavily coded with the male gaze. It's a male-driven fantasy that has no bearing in reality, and they don't care. <laughs> Do you know how many times when I was going to bars as a college student that there were guys coming up to me? We I lived in an all-girls dorm my freshman year. Do you know how many dudes came up to me and said, oh yeah, you guys going to have a pillow fight tonight? And it's like, what do you think we do? Is that like, do you think that we just sit in our rooms going, oh my God, Brittany, I want to do a pillow fight. Do you want to do a pillow fight? Oh my God, what happens if my boobs fall out of my shirt? Ah, no. I'll help you put them back. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh no, see, I'm in the see? shower and and, and I, I've dropped my soap. Can you pick up the soap and like soap up my breasts? They're so hard to clean. Are you yeah. kidding? Are you it's, absolutely joking? <laughs> it's it's that art emulating life, life emulating art. People saw that and went, that must be real. If it happens at any place, I, I mean, more power to you. But that is not realistic in the least. And yeah. usually when it is, is happening, it's happening because, you know, the pizza man is late. Mm. <laughs> Let's, oh God, let's move on from that. Anyway, <laughs> they install secret cameras to spy on naked girls in their sorority house. That is a huge, bad, bad thing. That's actually, is that a felony? Because that could, yeah, if, I they, think so. if they had recorded that, actually, yes, it could be a felony because later on in the film, some images that they took from those videos, some images of some of the women topless, they printed and put them in the bottom of these cream pie tins and were selling them for charity. And that's distribution of porn. porn. Yeah. Yeah. Of these people that they didn't even have the ability to see with consent to start, yeah. let alone distribute it. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh God, that's going to haunt me anyway. <laughs> so yeah, that's, you got strike one for breaking in, strike two for installing spy cameras in every nook and cranny of that house and having everybody sitting there in the fraternity watching these girls. Number three, printing out the photos, the bare photos of these poor women and selling them on a college campus for charity. Ugh. Number four, the biggest culprit, I believe, is the fact that Lewis decides that He's finally going to get into Betty's pants. How does he do it? He pretends to be Betty's boyfriend by putting on a Darth Vader helmet and bringing her into the moon bounce whatever house and performing oral sex. And apparently very successful oral sex. Which, because she's first all like, of all, not, not super um, realistic for a newbie, but you know, whatever. Go out. Go off. Agreed. <laughs> Like, oh, yay, you've never had any kind of sex before, but your tongue can do acrobatic splits and everything like on this person's clitoris? No. So whatever. He performs well. And she's like, oh, that was amazing. And he finally shows his face. Hey, I'm not your boyfriend. I'm Lewis. And she goes, oh, my God, that was so amazing. Are all nerds this good? 
No, that is the porn response to finding out that the dude that just went down on you is not the dude you thought it was. Ooh, yeah, that is not okay. Because, like, just thinking about it, I... Yeah, there, it there, makes my nethers go... Be, there would be blood, somebody would... He would be missing an appendage, he would probably would be, be singing screaming. Soprano at this point, like... Yep, yeah, he'd be bleeding from the ears just because I'm screaming so loud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's... Uh, he He raped her. Plain and simple. He raped her. And the fact that she just glosses over it. And then later, as you see from the sequels, there are three sequels to this movie. She ends up marrying him and having children with him. Not okay. Not okay. And it's romanticizing that scumbag behavior it's it's rewarding that bad behavior and it gets to the point where like i will be at a at a party or at a bar and somebody will be like oh you don't really mean no i absolutely mean no (laughs) that is not okay don't worry if you sleep with me and find out how good i am you won't regret it that is not how reality works and that happens with straight relationships when a guy gets to a lesbian and is like i'll turn you i'm so good the f- <laughs> what yeah. no that's no Mm-mm. you can't i don't care how good you are in bed you cannot change somebody's sexuality if it is not there to begin with yeah yeah, and there's nothing wrong with somebody just not being attracted to you. They're like they don't have to give you a reason. They don't have to say it. Just no, I'm not interested. Thanks. Don't have to give you a chance. Don't have to give you a reason. Oh, but he's a nice guy. Give him a chance. Fuck off. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. That is the correct response. Fuck off. Oh, just it gets it gets me so irritated because I had so many times when I was growing up where they'd be like, but he's great. He's nice. What? Why won't you give him a chance? And this wasn't coming from other dudes. This was coming from other women, sometimes yeah. older women. There was, I was just like, oh, girl, the I internalized will... misogyny is. So yes, bad. I will fight you. I mm mm. Actually, this brings up something really good. Because I've been binge-watching Dollhouse lately. This is an episode that I just recently watched. The episode with Priya. When you see her backstory. Oh my god, you got this guy. This super rich, super nice guy. Who's totally into her art. And wants to, like, support her and everything. And she keeps saying, no, I don't want to go out with you. No, I don't want to sleep with you. But he's like... Oh, well, I mean, what if I buy all of your art? What if I commission like a really big piece like for for my entryway? Like, could you please at least like come and spend some time at this art gallery where I'm like promoting you? And she's like, you know what? Fine. You know, buy my art. That's cool and all. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sleep with you. He puts together this huge elaborate scheme where half of the people at this party are dolls are people who are programmed to talk him up. And she's standing there like, I I still get a really bad vibe. I'm not into him. I don't want to be with him. When he's he's lurking in the wings, waiting for her, and she's starting to head towards the door with somebody else, he jumps out and is like, hey, so do you want to like take this back to my room? And she's like, no, I'm going to go now. Thank you so much for, you know, purchasing this piece. I'm really, really, I'm really appreciative. Thank you so very much. But I'm going to be on my way now. I'm going to leave and I'll see you around. And he gets violent. Yep. He stops her. He physically prevents her from leaving. And he is the reason that she ends up a doll because he has the ability to manipulate everything in her life he drugs her makes her um basically commits her to an asylum makes her appear schizophrenic and forces her into this horrible situation where she ends up getting used as a sex slave by him and among other people yep all because she said no and he could not handle it horrible she she is an object that's the thing that's just all i'm saying is he got his oh he did and i'm i'm not sad about it at all (laughs) i mean spoilers (laughs) if anyone wants to talk about this you know show from 
from several years ago. ago. If you haven't seen it by now, like I recommend it. It has the same issues of consent and expressions of what a woman is as many Joss Whedon pieces do. He he has mm-hmm. a lot of stereotypes that he, he likes to explore and I do like many of his characters, many of his stories. I do have issues with many of them, so you have to watch it with a grain of salt. But it's it's a good one. And any honestly, anything with Eliza Dushku in it, I will watch. <laughs> honestly, I let's bring up that entire cast. Dollhouse, yeah. the entire yeah. cast is amazing. You've got Eliza Dushku. Alan Tiddick is the one who stands out to me. Like that is the oh. most versatile human being. Like the thing the range the range he has this man king candy (laughs) from wreck it right all the way on to alpha in dollhouse to the the pirate from dodgeball Dodgeball. and his recent stuff he's been doing in he was uh, funny in irobot oh he was he was amazing yeah he was um if you've seen resident alien That like oh he's just he's amazing I love his stuff, but I mean let's the the cast of that show is fantastic. You have Eliza Dushku, you have Fran Kranz, who this was the first thing that I had ever seen him in, and then seeing him in other things after the fact. Like if you have if you have seen the movie uh, Cabin in the Woods where he plays the stoner dude, he's the best. He's the best part of that film. <laughs> He's the, he's so good and he's great in this show too. He's fantastic. I I literally I want to watch everything that he's ever been in because of those two productions that he's been in. They're fantastic. You've got Tamo Peniket, who I believe was also in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And for and I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name, Yokach, who has been seen in a bunch of other Joss Whedon things, including Agent Carter, Agents of Shield. He was also in the first Avengers movie as a cop that interacts with Captain America for like three seconds. He was in an episode of Community where he plays a, a foreigner who is also a war criminal. It's just he does he's does some great stuff too. Amy Acker, Reed Diamond, you have so many people in that that show, and every single one of them are fantastic. And of course, I can't leave out Summer Glau. Of course. Hello, yeah. Summer Glau. Yeah. But yes, let's let's Love. move on. <laughs> I can I can talk about Joss Whedon stuff forever, but I'll stop now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I mean, we've we've covered a wide range of topics that are all tangentially connected to the original premise we have of just that romanticization of of scumbags, and I I think we've been able to cover this pretty well. I'm liking our our range so far. But really, it's been so interesting dissecting this because I know that I am much more critical of media and have been for a long time, but it's it's become more thoughtful as I've gotten older. And I sometimes wish I could go back because I am deconstructing some beliefs <laughs> that I have. Yeah. When when you think of like formative movies and and media that you consume how many people are were obsessed with jareth from uh labyrinth you know how many girls thought that oh gosh the goblin king but when you actually break it down it's creepy as hell very (laughs) very creepy it is not okay and people are like yeah but you know look and it was david bowie and they dance and he sang and no Yes, no. but those pants, those pants were inappropriate for a children's movie. <laughs> the codpiece, come on. <laughs> that codpiece, holy sh- that that I'm sure that that permeated some nightmares of some young children. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting what gets like ingrained. I mean, I think back to some of the things that were formative for me. Um, Hexus from Ferngully. Yes. I mean, oh, Tim, God, yes. Tim Curry in general, but like that whole thing, I'm just like, well, apparently I'm like sludge villain sexual. I don't know. That's that's a thing. Um, Girl, have you seen Legend with Tom Cruise? Yes, with the big. Yeah. Yeah. His yeah. devil form. Woo. I figured that'd be up your alley. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then you not going into the monster side of things. Another one was. 
um, my first like animated crush was Dimitri from Anastasia. And so I, I loved him, but he is also a scumbag. Yes, he has a sympathetic background and backstory and they have time where they, they bond and figure things out and it gets better. But he was manipulative and a criminal and he was all these things. And then again, he realizes this is a real person, not just a meal ticket. And he's like, oh, okay. Now I'm, now I'm interested. Now that I've gotten to know you, I'm interested. And that's, that's such an interesting thing that they, they continue where it's you, you're the one exception. You yep. are the one magical thing because you're not like other girls. Ooh, throat punch. Just no. <laughs> Just And no. that's the huge trope too. Like even as you were mentioning the whole like, oh, you're not, you're not just a meal ticket anymore. Like you've mentioned Han Solo. Oh God. Yeah. Like, good Lord. If you really break down his actions. Ooh, no. Let's talk about the movie. He's just not that into you. Oh yeah. Oh, and the book. And there's, there's not many dudes in that movie that come off in a good light. No. no. <laughs> Even the one you're supposed to fall for at the end, Justin Long. And I love Justin Long, but that's not. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you actually think about these as if they were real people, because you can very easily find a character attractive, but if they were your real life partner, that would not be compatible. It's actually one of the things that I find interesting when you start talking about you know, sexuality and some people who are aromantic or asexual, they sometimes have the most elaborate fantasies or are most committed to a fictional character and have entire Tumblr posts where Tumblr blogs dedicated to them, or they write very steamy fan fiction, or they write (laughs) fabulous like erotica, but they themselves have no interest in that. And people are like, well, how is that possible? You can do a lot in your brain without getting your body involved, people. Like, this is true. It's also a little bit about control and boundaries. And I think if we work harder as a society, as people, to make it so everyone understands consent and respect. So if you respect the sanctity of your own body and the body of others, if you respect the world around you, we're going to have a lot less shenanigans happening. And not going to have a lot of the issues that we see going around here and misunderstandings. And I think one of the ways we can do that more subtly is through media. If we really are showing positive relationships, positive growth, and we're stopping this trope of, oh, you're the one and only woman who proved to me that women are people. Yeah. That's that's going to be a big thing. It's not just the consent, the autonomy of each individual, but also the people who do have these toxic tropes. Like, even if we do put them in film and feature them in film, we want to make sure that it is made clear that that is not okay. Yes. Like, don't don't reward sure... them. Don't reward exactly. them. <laughs> like, we... We understand that life and the world is made up of all different things, all different people and everything. And yes, a lot of the times the bad guys do get the good things because a lot of shit in life is not fair. Like if we at least start portraying things as the bad guys get bad ends and the good guys who do things the right way, who are consenting, who who get consent, like let's let's all be the Chris Evans of the world. Yeah. All the, like, and I'm I'm definitely Fraser, the out. Brendan Frasers of the world. Like, oh come on, my God. <laughs> the Chris Evans Oscar thing, where like he helped not just Betty White but Regina King mm-hmm. on their way up to accept their awards. Yep. Like the way the way his body language, how he addressed the situation, he didn't immediately go in with an open palm and be like, "Oh yeah, let me help you." No. He was clapping. Everything was cool. He saw she had an issue with her 
you getting caught on her dress. So immediately he starts to bend down, making himself smaller and less intimidating, approaches her at first with an open hand, then realizes what he's doing, closes his hand and turns his arm over so that he's offering just his forearm. She grabs on. He escorts her up the way, and as soon as she lets go, he turns back and leaves. He's not waiting for praise. He's not doing it like that is absolutely how to... So sexy. Oh, (laughs) God, yes. That's how to be be helpful, how to be respectful, how to get consent. You're not immediately going over and grabbing the lady and saying, here, let me help you. You're waiting for her to grab you. You're offering the help, but you're not taking yeah, like, not like those, taking those guys who say, oh, I can't walk past a woman. I'm just walking past her. I put my hand on her mid-back or I'm guiding her. No, you wouldn't do that stuff to a random <laughs> six-foot-five guy. Right, so why are you doing it to me? Exactly. <laughs> like, no. That's, that's a whole bodily autonomy, consent, all of that, like... I don't know why it's such a novelty in some cases. And they're like, well, I was just trying to be helpful. No, you you need to unlearn some behaviors. It It's not something that you came up with out of whole cloth. It absolutely is an existing... A learned behavior. Yeah, a learned sure. behavior in our society. But you can't just do it unconsciously and on habit. You need to realize what you're doing. It's so fascinating how little awareness people have to the impact they have on the world. And I know that this isn't a universal truth, but it feels like it is sometimes that women are taught constantly and and are, are chastised constantly while they're growing up to be more aware of how people perceive them. You know, cross your legs, sit up straight, act like a lady, act, do this. Oh, well, put on another shirt because your uncle's coming over. What does that say about your uncle? That's freaky. Oh, we we don't want these other random strange dudes, even family members, to see your shoulders and get an erection. And if they have an erection at seeing their 12-year-old niece's shoulders, you need to kick that uncle out of the house. There there's some other issues. It's so it's so weird that they that people are like, oh well, I'm a victim of my hormones. And like, okay, so the patriarchy and toxic (laughs) masculinity and misogyny, all of those things assume wrongly that men are incapable of controlling themselves. It's not women who are saying this. It's not feminism. It's not any of that. It's full on the patriarchy going, oh yeah, that is how things are. And they can't control themselves. So it's on you to fix things and control things. No, I, as a person have every faith that a man is going to be able to control himself. My father is a wonderful example of this. My brother-in-law, another wonderful example of this. They are capable, competent men who have had women throw themselves at them before. And they've been like, what the frick is this? I have a wife. Go away. And they are just not interested. And somehow other men are like, but I was weak and she was there and, da, 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 and it made me feel good. And are you a child? What are you yeah. doing? You you understand control. You just choose not to because it's convenient and, for and you. The fact, and the fact that they say things like, oh, I couldn't control my hormones. And yet, and yet, those same men get on women for just existing with hormones Every time their period comes around and there's a little bit of a mood swing, suddenly they're like, oh, your hormones are out of whack. Oh, you're such a bitch. And it's like, what? What? You can't keep your dick in your pants because you never learned self-control. And me, I'm over here crying because I saw a dog on a commercial and I'm the bitch. (laughs) Exactly. Like, what? (laughs) Oh, make it make sense. It it doesn't. (laughs) It never will. (sighs) <sighs> I got so incensed. I got so heated. I was like, I'm finishing this with fire. <laughs> so I feel like we've come full circle. We've gone yeah. into many other branches. The circle has now become an oblong shape. It is um, an Ouroboros. It is, it is an oh. infinity symbol Ouroboros. Yes. And <laughs> it's beautiful. Its 
It's beautiful. Oh God. And we, we went off the rails just a little bit, but I think it works because this is what, this is what media does. This is why we decided to make this podcast is because media influences how we see the world, our influence on the world. It is literally like just talking about these few movies. And we have a whole bunch more on this list that we never caught, (laughs) never touched, but like, all of just just talking about these handful and just let us off into these other really really intense topics and that's that's important because that's how media affects society and yeah. we want to point it out and we want to celebrate where it's awesomely done and we want to point out where it could be done better could be ch- maybe yeah. taken with a, a different hand like the graduate a lot of people were coming onto my page when i posted on tiktok about that movie saying but it was a different time that's not how it was intended the director specifically stated that that's not how it was intended and i'm like my father who grew up in the era that that movie was made saw women saying oh it's so romantic how he chases after her and he looked at them my father a dude in the 60s looked at these women and said that's stalking (laughs) you shouldn't be romanticizing that what are you thinking and it's only gotten worse from there yeah so because it's become more of a norm every time we hit a boundary where we're like oh we crossed that line that line moves yes media is important and that's what we're here to discuss we hope it's going to be fantastic through the coming episode and we hope you guys join us we will be branching out a little bit trying to figure our social media presence as we go it's all new to us we're super beginners (laughs) but i think that's part of the fun because we're like you guys listening to us coming in and you know this is our opinions these are our views and we're getting better as we go But with this, I mean, we have some really interesting topics. We have so many. Our list is, as Kelly said before, as long as her leg. We're going to be chatting about uh, the media we're currently consuming. And we're going to have that as a running topic that we'll be going over. So we can just kind of talk about what's shaping our view. And we'll be posting these as we go. And hopefully we're going to be getting feedback from viewers listeners and tweaking things for that here's hoping like i said we're all figuring it out as we go along (laughs) Um, (laughs) thank you for joining us on our journey tell your friends tell your friends about us like we want we want people to listen to us yeah we're shouting into (laughs) the void right now please join us in the void Uh, i think we need to name the void how about carl is that a good void name that might be something that we'll put to a vote. Okay. <laughs> That'll be something that we'll we'll send out to our viewers and say, what should we name the void? Um, <laughs> and, uh, I vote Boyd the Void. Um, but, let's... <laughs> but yeah, that's we'll be figuring out our social media presence and we'll be posting things. I'll probably be posting advertisements for this on TikTok. But yeah, for now, thank you again for joining us on the Chronic Media Consumption Podcast. I'm still Kelly. And I am again Michelle. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>